Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me is my co-host, Proceedings Editor-in-Chief, Bill Hamlet. Hi, Bill. Hey, Ward. So we're back here in Beach Hall in Studio S after a great week at SNA. Uh, three podcasts from the booth, including the ship boss, as well as both Force Master Chiefs and the commanding officer of the USS Zumwalt. So those were some great gets last week. If the audience hasn't heard those shows, very much recommend those to them. Um, so it's always fun to be out among the people, and uh, we're going to do it again this week. Yeah, definitely. You had uh, all three days at SNA last week. I was just there for the first day because I uh, had to race back here for uh, the— Do your other duties. Yeah, do my other duties. We had a magazine to publish, and the February issue is uh, out to the printers now. should be in people's mailboxes on the uh, 1st of February, or right, right around the 1st of February. Um, I, previews of coming attractions, uh, super excited in the February issue about an article by a retired Navy SEAL captain— uh, his name is Daniel Stewart. Uh, he works out at Naval Special Warfare Command uh, in San Diego, retired from the Navy uh, more than a decade ago, but uh, he wrote a great piece about leadership, integrity, and the Navy SEAL ethos, and we're going to have him on the podcast in early February, so that's a preview of coming attractions. On the 29th of January, we're going to have one of the authors of uh, Naval Institute Press book, Chinese Communist Espionage, the, the book about... Uh, it's a great primer on uh, Chinese cyber es espionage and espionage in general. So this Thursday, we're going to the Navy Yard for an event, and our guest today is related to that event. That's right. Uh, we mentioned on the podcast and we've put out on our social media sites uh, that on 23 January, uh, we're celebrating, the Navy is celebrating the 60th anniversary of the dive of the Bathyscaphe Trieste to the bottom of the uh, Marianas Trench, and Don Walsh was one of two crew members uh, on board that uh, Bathyscaphe in January, uh, it was January 22nd or 23rd, depending on which side of the dateline you were on. Uh, but Don Walsh has been on the podcast, who writes uh, the Oceans column and has written for uh, proceedings for many, many years. 1954 graduate of the Naval Academy, submarine officer who uh, lucked into uh, being part of the, the Trieste program when it was... Uh, uh, getting started in the late 1950s and found himself, uh, you know, diving to the bottom of the world's ocean in January of 1960. And our guest today wrote an article in the January issue of Proceedings. Our guest, uh, Norman Polmar, uh, the man with the most Proceedings bylines of all time. So, uh, Norman, it's great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you, Ward. Thank you, Bill. Nice to be with you guys. I've had the privilege of knowing Ward for many, many, many years. And Bill, I've only known you since you arrived at the Naval Institute. Your article is a, uh, a special article. It starts on page 66, 67 of the January issue of Proceedings. It's called The First Deepest Dive. It's excerpted in part from our forthcoming book uh, by Lee Mathers and myself on the history of all three Trieste. There were actually three vehicles with that name. Uh, they looked very similar. They did very similar things, but uh, they were actually three different vehicles. And so that book is called The Deepest Pioneer, The Bathyscaphe Trieste, and Deep Ocean. It's scheduled. It's a USNI press book coming out in 2020. Do we know which month, Norman? Oh, it'll be late, late, late. November, December, probably. December 31st, right, it'll 2020. Be, it'll be in uh, December 31st and a half. <laughs> 
Well, maybe, All right. Maybe it'll be in the holiday catalog for 2020. Yes. We can hope. We'll so, look forward to that. So, Norman, um, you, you start off your article, 51 years ago, three Americans left Earth and reached the moon. Worldwide media provided extensive coverage of that historic event. Almost a decade earlier, though, on 23 January 1960, two men reached Earth's deepest point, the Challenger Deep of the Mariana Trench in the Western Pacific. There was relatively little media coverage of that historic event. Why? Well, two reasons. One, uh, America in 1960 was still had reverberations from the Soviet Union having orbited Sputnik, excuse me, in 57. Uh, And people were just focused on space. We were trying to catch up with the Soviets. The other aspect of why very little media coverage is Admiral Arleigh Burke, the chief of naval operations, because the Navy had failed to orbit a satellite explorer on two occasions just before and at about the time of the Sputnik uh, incident or event, uh, he did not want any publicity for the Trieste deep dive unless it was successful. So you didn't have the tremendous buildup that you had for the space program. There were a couple of journalists on the support ship up up on the surface, but uh, the coverage uh, was just very limited. And again, America was just focused on space in 1960. So with that is the point, how did the U.S. Navy get involved in deep diving? Okay, the um, Jacques Picard, a Swiss scientist, uh, and his father, Auguste, had designed and built this bathyscaphe. Now, the irony is Auguste Picard held several records for balloon flying, for altitude. And one day he decided, apparently, uh, from what I got from his son and from his uh, records, is if we can go up, why can't we go down? So he designed and built the Bathyscaphe Trieste. Uh, The U.S. Navy, uh, Office of Naval Research, took interest in it and purchased it. I think 1959, the final papers were signed. And a year later, um, the U.S. Navy decided, since it could go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, about 36,000 feet, uh, let's go. So Jacques Picard, the son of Auguste Picard, the inventor, of the Trieste, and Don Walsh, a young Navy lieutenant, uh, piloted the thing to 36,000 feet, a record that stood until 2012 when a private citizen built his own craft that went down slightly deeper, a few yards deeper. Now, on uh, Norman, on page uh, 68 uh, of the article, uh, there's a picture or a dis- depiction of the uh, Marianas Trench, and you know it, it gets pretty narrow uh, as you go down. Um, how, how you know is this threading the needle as this as this um, bathyscaphe goes down? How how hard is it to find the target and actually you know get well, into it was, that? It was very difficult because the horizontal, the mobility of the vehicle, and the horizontal mode is very limited. It went at a couple of miles, three miles an hour, and its range uh, was limited to a few thousand yards, really. So they had to, you might say, drop it precisely or very close to the deepest point of the Mariana Trench. So so their ability to maneuver this thing laterally as they descended was was very, very very limited. limited. Gotcha, gotcha. And once they were on the ocean floor... 
floor of the Mariana Trench, also very limited. But they knew from prior exploration, primarily by the British, what the deepest point of the world's ocean was the Mariana Trench. How did Don Walsh get picked for this expedition? Well, there are a couple of stories. The one Don himself told me uh, was that he was on the staff of the submarine flotilla at the time, and they were discussing if they acquire the craft, if they buy it from Picard, how, how could they command it? Who would run it? And apparently one of the senior officers sitting there turned around and said, hell, my aide, Don Walsh, can even run it. Don was a qualified submariner, uh, lieutenant, uh, and Don was appointed the first officer in charge. And he became the Navy's first hydronaut, the first person qualified to command a deep, deep submergence vehicle. I had the privilege of meeting Don, oh, two or three months after the deep dive. He was giving a speech for the Naval Historical Foundation, and the president at the time, Vice Admiral Jack Shafroth, and I had met several times. I'd interviewed him. I was a young, very young journalist at the time. And during the uh, receiving line after Walsh's talk, Shafroth spotted me, reached over, grabbed me. He was a big man. They called him Battleship Shafroth. And in 44-45, he commanded the fast battleships in the Pacific Fleet. But he was built like a battleship. And the admiral reached out, literally grabbed me by my lapels, pulled me up and said, meet Walsh and his deputy, Larry Shoemaker. Uh, Meet Walsh and Shoemaker. As soon as this line's over, I want you to take these sailors out. He called them sailors, I remember and uh, get them whatever they want. Well, here I was a young kid, 20, maybe 21, 20, I think. What do sailors want? Um, we ended up in a coffee bar in Georgetown until 2, 2.30 in the morning talking about Trieste, bathyscaphs, and how Walsh wanted me to write an article about the Trieste. So did you write one back then? Uh, yeah, I wrote a couple of short pieces, but uh, later on, Don and I started to write a book, but both of us just had too many other things on our plate. So a few years ago, he mentioned it to me again. So with uh, Lee Mathers, a former naval officer, an intelligence type, a good writer and a phenomenal researcher, uh, Lee Mathers and I put together 130 or 40,000 words on the three Trieste vehicles. So let's go through some of the TikTok and the details of the mission, starting with how they climbed in it. What was the general size of it? Because as Bill mentioned, the infographic on page 68 is kind of overwhelming, um, you know, and, and not to mention we're talking about how you descend into this, you know, threading the needle, as it were, to get into the Marianas Trench, but just the enormity of it. I mean, here you have a whale at 3,000 feet and just these other frames of reference. So walk us through what this day was like for Don Walsh. Well, first of all, the weather was very difficult. And the 25-foot swells, and at one point, uh, Commander, I forgot, I think it was Commander Submarine Force Pacific, said, if the weather's that bad, don't go. And uh, the scientists on board the support ships immediately radioed back, too late. It wasn't too late, but they wanted to go. Walsh and Picard wanted to go. So they climbed an access tube. The Trieste is basically a floating gasoline tank, like a tractor trailer, 
with a sphere, pressure sphere, hooked underneath. There is a tunnel through gasoline tanks, and it's aviation gas, which is lighter than water, and that's what gives the craft flotation. So Walsh and Picard climb down this tunnel through the access, the access trunk, through the float, through the gasoline tanks, into this pressure sphere. And the sphere was uh, roughly 38 inches square and five and a half feet high. So the two of them squeezed in. Later on, in other operations, they got three people in there. You had to be very friendly to do that. <laughs> But Walsh and Picard uh, climbed down, climbed in. Giuseppe Buno, an Italian engineer that Picard has brought from Italy, they had actually built the Trieste in the town of the city of Trieste, which at the time was a free city and later became part of Italy. Hence, they named it for the town or the city. Um, once they were in, Giuseppe Buno uh, came down the t access tunnel, uh, locked the hatch, and he took a watch that had been specially designed by the watchmaker uh, and hooked it on so that the watch could, it could be said by the uh, watchmaker, uh, this watch went deeper than any other watch in history. Is that a brand we would know? Uh, yes, and I, unfortunately, the brand is not on the tip of my tongue. Rolex. Is it not uh, Rolex? I'll you at four in the yeah. morning when I remember it. Yeah, it's a, ro it's it's a Rolex. Yeah. Regardless, it's a they locked them in, and they submerged. And it was, um, they dumped ballast periodically. Uh, as they went deeper, of course, the pressure increased so that uh they had to release some of the ballast. The ballast is basically tubs of BBs, steel BBs, steel shot. And um, they got to the bottom, and they spent a few minutes there. And again, uh, the, the craft uh, was not designed for horizontal maneuverability. That's part of the reason the Navy later rebuilt this one and then essentially built a third Trieste, Roughly the same size, but much more advanced in technology and in shape. Uh, the basic Trieste was not designed well from a viewpoint of being able to be towed on the surface. So they spent uh, 20 minutes on the ocean floor. Uh, there's some indications that they saw marine life, but in reality they had not. Uh, there's nothing at 36,000 feet. But they spent 20 minutes down there, and then um, three hours, uh, 27 minutes later, um, they were up. You talk about things like thermoclines and, and other technical terms that maybe the average listener isn't aware of. What were some of those challenges? I mean, it wasn't just like climbing this thing and, and just drop to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Temperature and, and pressure differences as they descended had a significant effect on the ballast, on the, uh, not ballast, on the flotation, on the gasoline. And so they had to carefully adjust, you might say, uh, to simplify it, the weight of the Trieste so it would continue to go down and not just stop or float to the surface. Once on the bottom, uh, again, their mobility was very limited. Uh, they could move. Uh, there were t small 
uh, thrusters, propellers, uh, mounted on top of the float, so they could maneuver, but not very well and not very far. Of course, everything was battery-powered, although there was a fail-safe system that if power failed, uh, the two shot tubs or ballast tubs, which contain the steel shot, uh, would, auto- <clears throat> excuse me, would automatically be released, and they would shoot up to the surface. And uh, the vessel leaked at various points in the descent. Talk to us about that. Well, the sphere had windows, and the windows periodically developed, of all things, leaks. But as they went deeper, the pressure sealed them. Uh, But that must have been rather frightening. Don and I never discussed that. But um, here you are, say, at 20,000 feet down, and suddenly you see water coming into your craft. Well, two problems. One, the weight of the water could sink you. And secondly, how much water could you take in before you were essentially swimming? Yeah, and so if you go deeper to seal it, obviously this problem's coming back when you start to ascend. Yes, but it it wasn't a major problem. Um, And again, both Jacques Picard and Don Walsh were both bright young men. And um, they were explorers. They, They could handle it. They were gutsy as hell. So let me read this little bit here. So two things on page 67 of the article. As they passed through 15,000 feet, uh, a leak began to seal, but another one began at about 18,000 feet. And a little bit further on, at 27,000 feet, Picard dumped enough ballast to slow to about two feet per second descent. Approaching 32,400 feet, they felt a strong shock and a mild muffled noise. Uh, The sphere rocked as though we were on land and going through a mild earthquake. Concern was immediate, Walsh recalled. We waited anxiously for what might happen next. Nothing did. We turned off the instruments. Uh, Still nothing, and so they continued to dive. So that's pretty gutsy. Yeah. um, Hey, uh, I cannot speak too highly of Don Walsh. As I say, I've had the privilege of knowing Don for 60 years. Uh, When he commanded the submarine Bashaw, I actually went to sea with him. Um, we've periodically spent an evening at dinner or just drinking wine and talking for several hours. Uh, Don, as you know, as you mentioned, is a very good, very good writer and does a column for the Naval Institute Proceedings, for which I once did a column for many years. Uh, but Don, who has a PhD in oceanography, was on the staff of the Secretary of the Navy, as I mentioned, commanded a submarine, uh, had a few other interesting Navy assignments, um, has taught uh, lectures regularly on cruise ships. He's really what we used to call a Renaissance man. The other nice things in the article are the details about the ascent, like what the temperature was and how long it took them. So you write that it took them three hours and 27 minutes at nearly three feet per second or two miles an hour. The Trieste is not a high-speed vehicle. No, definitely not a high-speed vehicle. So they're sort of uh, overwhelmed by, let's you call it anticlimax, and then they're, they get hit by the cold. Um, so how did they combat that? They combated the cold by what clothes they had brought along, and they actually changed clothes, as I recall, during the dive, put on warmer clothes, and uh, they ate a lot of chocolate bars. Yeah, that's the only food that they had with them you you mentioned here. Yeah, for an eight-hour mission. On later dives, people would take sandwiches, thermos bottles, 
but all they had were chocolate bars, and uh, there was some argument between Picard and Walsh on whether to use American chocolates or Belgian chocolates <laughs> at one point. Uh, and I forgot now. I forgot how that was resolved, but that was probably the biggest disagreement the two of them ever had. So they were in the sphere for eight or seven plus hours. There aren't right. any. There aren't any head facilities. Yeah, uh, in, in this. Oh yes, they had a bottle. Oh, they did. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Um, they had so a bottle. That, that's so it's good old tack air methodology right. there. The sphere is about the size of a phone booth. Right, right. So you had, to, like you said, you had to be comfortable with each other. What's the legacy of of Trieste in terms of submarine technology? In terms of what did the Navy do with the findings of this particular mission? Okay, of this particular mission, it was scientific. It was not military. Uh, again, the Soviets had put a man, or putting men into space. They had orbited the first Earth satellite three years before. Uh, this was the U.S. Navy saying, hey, we have real, valid, scientific objectives. So now we have a vehicle to do it. Let's do it. Uh, we learned a lot from the dive. Uh, they learned a lot more from more shallow dives because no one operates at 36,000 feet. Uh, the Trieste legacy is that it proved man could go to the bottom of the ocean. Now, they changed the sphere on the original Trieste. And it was a new sphere, sphere, had more capabilities, but it could only go to 20,000 feet. At 20,000 feet, you can reach 98% of the ocean floor. So the Trieste then became a most important vehicle for one, research. Two, looking for and picking up things that we, the United States, and other people dropped on the ocean floor. And three, for examining the remains of our nuclear submarines, Thresher and Scorpion. Uh, indeed, on the, one of the dives on the Thresher disaster, uh, they actually picked up a pipe from the Thresher, brought it to the surface, and the great irony is scratched into the pipe was SSN 593 or whatever. I offhand forgotten the Thresher's hull number. So it became a very valuable tool in three different iterations. They greatly modified the original Trieste, and then they built a, another vehicle, basically the same size and the same features, and kept the name Trieste to confuse the bad guys. But Trieste's legacy is that it did unbelievably valuable work on the ocean floor research and picking up things that we drop, such as uh, the film packages from photo satellites that we failed to recover while they were descending, and picking up pieces of things that people dropped on the ocean floor. Norman, you've written a lot about the, uh, the Russian Navy or the Soviet Navy. Did they have a program that was similar to Trieste? Uh, no, in the 60s, the only people who had a similar vehicle uh, was the French who had a Picard-built, an August Picard-built um, deep diver. Uh, but the Russians never got an effective 20,000-foot vehicle, let alone one that could go down 36,000 feet. Um, but most of the missions that 
you wanted to do were much more much shallower than 20,000 feet. So are we going to see you on Thursday, Norman? Are you going to make it to this event? I better, because I'm supposed to be the keynote speaker and introduce Don Walsh. Okay, then. So don't so forget. I'm not there introducing Don Walsh, Don Walsh won't speak. <laughs> he helped Lee Mathers and I, and, and helped both of us considerably uh, with the book we've just completed on the history of the three Trieste. We look forward to seeing the, the book at the end of this year. We'll have you back on the podcast when it comes out. And okay. it's always hey, great to you, have Lord. the legendary Norman Polmar on the show. Well, this is the first time you've been on the podcast, um, which is our bust. So now we've remedied that. We'll have to have you on on a regular basis. What time? And again, <laughs> <laughs> you bring the wine. You bring the uh, wine, Norman. Yes, exactly. Happy to do it. And Gentlemen, thank you very much. Take care, and I'll see you both on Thursday. Very we'll well. Thursday. We'll see you then. Okay. The article... Bye. The article is called The First Deepest Dive. It's in the January issue of Proceedings. starts on page 6667 by Norman Polmar and Lee Mathers. And as we mentioned at the start of the show, if you're in the D.C. area and can be at the Washington Navy Yard at the National Museum of the United States Navy at 10 o'clock Thursday morning, uh, an event commemorating the 60th anniversary of the first deepest dive of the Trieste to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Norman will be the keynote speaker. Don Walsh will be there to talk about the mission firsthand. And uh, we look forward to seeing any of our members who can be there, any of our fans uh, and listeners to the podcast who can be there. It'll be a great event. So again, victory begins at the Naval Institute. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. 